Real leaders leave a legacy. They capture the hearts and minds of their teams. Their origin story puts the safety and well-being of their people first. Great companies ubiquitously have safe yet productive operations. For those companies, safety is an investment, not a cost for the C-suite. It's a real topic of daily focus. This is The Safety Guru with your host, Eric McCroskey, a globally recognized ops and safety guru, public speaker, and author. Are you ready to leave a safety legacy? Your legacy success story begins now. Hi, and welcome to The Safety Guru. Today, I'm really excited to have with me James Wood, who's a world-recognized safety motivational speaker. Uh, he has a great story he's going to share with us. He went to work one day as a typical blue-collar worker, came back home nine months later. So, James, welcome to the show. Really happy to have you with me. Good morning, Eric, from Australia. Nice and uh, early over here. Indeed, indeed. So uh, out of Melbourne in, in Victoria, Australia, enjoying summer while I'm enjoying winter. Uh, so, so maybe why don't you start a little bit with your story and, and how, how you got started, maybe talking about when you were going to work that day and, and some of the elements, and we'll take it from there. Sure. Okay. Well, Eric, I should go back a little bit further. I'm the oldest of uh, six children. Uh, my dad worked in the mining industry. Uh, firstly, initially in the UK, and then we emigrated to Australia. Uh, my grandfather was in mining his whole life, uh, and that sort of transitioned to me getting an apprenticeship as a, as a diesel mechanic in the mining industry. Mm -hmm. uh, I finished my apprenticeship, and you know things were looking pretty good. I was working as a, a qualified diesel mechanic, you know, good job, uh, a little bit of ambition. I was hoping one day to make it into a maybe a supervisor or a manager's role. Uh, one day I woke up and went to work. It was a, it was a Monday morning, uh, just after a couple of days off. Um, now the first job for the day, I was given a, a job, uh, to go out and fix a, a truck. Now, I think the important thing to point out here is it was something that I'd probably done hundreds of times before. So when the boss gave me the job this day, I didn't really think too much about it. You know, I thought, oh yeah, I can do that. I've, I've done that before. Uh, the next thing that he said to me, he said, oh, look, when you finish fixing that truck, take it up to uh, a parking bay. Now, I could uh -huh. actually see where I had to go. The, the parking bay was uh -huh. only a short distance away. So I thought I was only going to be in the, the truck for a couple of minutes. So uh -huh. I uh, fixed the truck, jumped up into the cabin, ready to move it. Now, I, I, just as I got into the, the, the truck, I had a look at the time, and I noticed it was five to nine in the morning. Uh, smoker or morning tea was at nine o'clock. So straight away, I thought, oh, beauty, if I can get back to the, the crib room, the lunch room by nine o'clock, I can catch up with my workmates. So I, uh, I took off down the road in the, in the truck um, in a bit of a hurry, uh, pretty keen to get back to the parking bay, back to the lunch room. I put my foot down, uh, going a little bit too quick for the, for the conditions. Uh -huh. I lost control of the, the truck. Um, wet road, you know, we'd had a bit of rain around yep. that day, a wet, slippery road. I'm going too fast. I ended up rolling the truck down the, the side of a hill uh, three times. They worked out that I rolled the truck three complete times. Wow. I, uh, I got thrown out and I broke my back, uh, snapped my back and damaged my spinal cord. 
and uh, pretty much I've been using a wheelchair for the last 30 years. Wow. This is quite quite the event, yeah. That was the event. Uh, But just leading on from there, and I suppose to to answer your question, um, it was probably about five or six years after after my accident. You know, I'd, I'd managed to, you know, go through hospital and rehab and I was rebuilding my life, you know, even five or six years after the event, I was still mm-hmm. in that rebuilding process. But one of my uh, one of my mates rang me, one of my former workmates rang me mm-hmm. and he'd made it up into a, a, a supervisor's role. And he, he asked me, he said, look, Woody, he said, we're having a, a safety day. He said, "You, I want you to come out and tell people what happened to you. And initially, mm-hmm. I, I, I refused. I said, there's no way that I'm going to sit in front of a group of people and talk about mm-hmm. my, my accident. But he, he kept nagging me, Eric. He's one of those uh, annoying mates that we all got. <laughs> yes. He kept nagging me. And one day, we were having a couple of beers together. And, and he actually asked me the question. He said, well, if someone had turned up at our, our workplace right. and talked about you know, their, their incident or you know, told their story, is that the sort of thing that you would have listened to? Hmm. Great question. And again, something something just clicked and I thought, you know what, I would have liked to have heard it not from my management, not from my safety people, but from someone that I could relate to and they could relate to me. So I, uh, yeah, I agreed to go out and have a, have a, a, a bit of a yarn at his workplace and it just snowballed from there. I kept getting phone calls saying, look, we heard you're out at such and such a place. Can you come out to uh, to our workplace? Indeed. So that's the uh, that's that's the way that I I started telling my story, and I've been doing it for well nearly twenty five years now. So so tell me a little bit about the message that you you convey when you you speak to to audiences. I think one of the things that that struck me was really your message around responsibility, and we'll get to a couple of other themes that that you shared. Uh, but but maybe tell me a bit some of the key messages that you convey to to mm. teams. Well, my, my story, Eric, is all about choices. Um, when I started my uh, apprenticeship, we were given, obviously, training and, and a bit of guidance by the tradesmen and the, the, you know, the managers of where I worked. Uh, we were given training, you know, job training and safety training. Uh, we had systems and procedures in place that were supposed to, you know, keep us safe mm. or you know, ways, ways of doing our job that were meant to reduce risk. But uh, I made some wrong choices. I, uh, I stuffed up, you know. Uh, the three key points that I try and get across to, to people is to people when I share my story, uh, I didn't take that little bit of time just to think about the, the job. Uh-huh. Uh, I just jumped straight into it. I, I actually put pressure on myself. I thought uh-huh. that I had to get the truck fixed as quickly as possible. Right. And I think that that's a fairly common that's a fairly common thing with a lot of people. You know, we we put this pressure on ourselves that we just have to get the job done, uh, as no matter what. Mm. Uh, the second part of me getting hurt is I I took a risk. Uh, I was going down that road too quick for the conditions. Uh, you know, management and safety people are always saying drive to the conditions. Yep. Uh, I'm I'm a, I'm a perfect example of not driving to the conditions. And I think the third part of me getting hurt is I didn't protect myself. Mm. The uh, the truck that I was driving that day had seatbelts. I uh, I didn't have a seatbelt on, so that's the reason I got thrown out of the truck. 
Yeah, those those three choices, you know, can be applied to any role or any task. You know, it doesn't matter what what people do. You know, just take that little bit of time just to think about what you're going to do and how you're going to do it. Uh, don't take a risk, and you know, protect yourself. Wear the appropriate PPE and uh, whatever whatever you can do to protect yourself if something does go wrong. I think this is a great point. I think the the element you bring up around production pressure is something I hear quite often. And uh, in, in some organization, it's it's legitimate. The organization is pushing uh, and they're creating an environment where you're, you're more likely to create unsafe conditions because of that pressure. Um, but what you bring up is a really interesting point. There wasn't a pressure from the organization, but you had imposed yourself on yourself a certain degree of pressure. How can organizations, how can leaders reduce that risk um, in terms of the messaging to make sure that somebody doesn't put an undue pressure on themselves. Yeah. Look, I think it's got to be that constant reinforcement that Mm -hmm. you can stop a job or you can, you know, take a little bit of extra time to make sure what you're doing is safe. Right. You know, a, a a lot of people, you know, a lot of workplaces that I visit, there's no managers or supervisors saying, right, get that done as quickly as possible. You know, I, I hear the opposite. I hear if it need, if you need a little bit of extra time to make the job safer or to put some extra, you know, uh, protection or, you know, things in place to, to be able to do the job safer, just do it. And And that's what I think management has to do. They have to constantly reinforce, look, there's... There's no one, you know, yelling and screaming at you saying you've got to get the job done as quickly as possible, no matter what, or you have to take a risk to get that job done. I, I think that's a, a common theme because in many cases, um, people put pressure on themselves and, and the leaders do have a significant impact or an ability to impact um, because of, of, of uh, pressures that people can put on themselves. Yeah, look, I, I see it a lot. Eric, I, I see a lot of people do put that, it's it's a perceived pressure. You know, they, they think to themselves, well, if I don't get this job done quickly, mm-hmm. uh, I, you know, I'm going to get a, in trouble for it. Or if it's, I, I think it, I see it a lot more where there's, you know, uh, some process work where, you know, they might be part of a, a bigger job. And if they fall behind in their area, it's going to impact on the other areas to, you know, to produce or to, sure. know, to keep the job going. And, you know, and in, in a lot of cases, you can just say, look, I'm not comfortable with that. Let's just stop until we uh, we can put some things in place to make me comfortable. Yeah, I, I, I love that. One thing as well that when we connected that, that struck me is you had a, a great quote, uh, I'll let you share it, in terms of... Um, you really didn't feel that anything was going to happen to you, right? So, so you, you've heard about other accidents, other people, but you, you, you didn't think it was going to happen to you. And, and uh, certain things, like you said, you didn't, put, you didn't protect yourself with a seatbelt, as an example. Um, h- how does that happen and how can you shift that? And, and first, I think you need to share, share your story on that front because it's, it's quite yeah. powerful. Yeah, look, I think it's just a human nature thing. Nobody... Nobody thinks that something bad's going to happen to them. It's not until it happens to you that you think, oh, hang on, this doesn't happen to me. But the uh, the story that I shared with you when we chatted before, Eric, was um, I can remember lying in hospital and the doctor explained to me that I'd broken my back and 
damaged my spinal cord. And he said, look, you're, uh, you're probably going to have to use a wheelchair for the rest of your life. And I, I looked straight at the doctor and I said, look, I, I think you must be mistaken. This doesn't happen to me. I said that to the doctor and I, I said, this, this doesn't happen to me. Right. And uh, I think that's, you know, we, we, all, we all don't think that we're going to hurt, get hurt. Uh, but look, unfortunately, if you, if you do make some wrong choices, there's a good chance that uh, you increase that risk and you could get hurt. This episode of the Safety Guru Podcast is brought to you by Propolo Consulting, the leading safety and safety culture advisory firm. Whether you are looking to assess your safety culture, develop strategies to level up your safety performance, introduce human performance capabilities, re-energize your BBS program, enhance supervisory safety capabilities, or introduce unique safety leadership training and talent solutions, Propolo has you covered. Visit us at propolo.com. And is there anything that a leader could do to to help influence? So obviously you talked about your your friend who who brought you in to, to start conveying your story. But is there anything a leader could have done to to help improve your chance of, of being safer on that day? Yeah, look, I think you got you you need to keep in mind that I got hurt, you know, thirty years ago. So we've come a long way with safety in in thirty years. I, I see it, you know, mm. in the time that I've been visiting workplaces, I see some of the improvements that we've made. Uh, I believe that thirty years ago, we almost, you know, and especially management teams, almost accepted the fact that some of their workers were going to get hurt. Mm. And some of their workers were going to get killed. Sure, but we've had a we've had a complete turnaround over the last thirty years. In that, you know, we we now are at the point where we say, well, you know what, we don't have to hurt people, we don't have to kill people. Mm. So a lot of that has come from you know management, and they've had to put extra you know resources into training and you know the the things that they mm. need to do to make their workplaces a safe place to work. But I think. Uh, Managers still have to maintain some sort of connectivity with their with their their uh, employees, um, and the reason I, I say that is the only time that we ever saw a manager or a supervisor was when something went wrong, you know. And I think that's, sure. that's something that management have to do a little bit better. They have to make themselves visible to uh, the shop floor guys and girls. And for no other reason, just so the, the you know the the employees can see that management are aware of some of the conditions that they work under, uh, some of the things mm-hmm. some of the things that they have to do as part of their their job. Um, but I, I I guess your question, Eric, my management and and you know again keeping the time frame in place, they didn't really lead by example. You know they they were. Quite, quite comfortable to tell us that you know that we should be doing this and we should be doing that, but we would often see them doing something that wasn't, <laughs> you know, wasn't quite what they were asking us to do. Sure, so, you know, their credibility just goes right out the door. So you know, if you are in any sort of management or leadership role, you if you're willing to ask people to do something, you've got to be willing to to do it yourself. Yeah. And I think the other thing is uh, we had some systems. Uh, implemented uh, over the the time that I worked in the industry. 
And one of those systems was a, a, a system called Take 5. Now, I'm not sure if you've heard of that, Eric. Yeah, absolutely. The take, yeah, the Take 5 system. Now, we were all given a little Take 5 booklet. It was a little pocket-sized mm-hmm. notebook. And we, had, we were meant to carry it around with us. And, uh, you know, before every job or every task, we were supposed to do a, a Take 5. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, the, I reckon the first probably 12 to 18 months, our, our management and our leaders were pretty good. You know, they were saying, look, have you done your take fives? Make sure you do your take fives. Mm-hmm. Now, after about two years, maybe two and a half years, you know, that, that sort of died down a little bit. We didn't get asked as often, you know, have you done your take fives? And I reckon probably, I don't know, three, three and a half years after they'd introduced that system, we very rarely got asked if we'd done, you know, a take five. Um, mm-hmm. So there was no incentive or encouragement or reinforcement for us to do them, and mm-hmm. I, I had a take five. I had a take five book in my pocket the day that I, you know, I got hurt, and I didn't do one. I, uh, you know, I, mm-hmm. I just jumped straight into that job uh, without even thinking about it. Now the the, the strange thing about that, uh, I used to think that a take five was a was a waste of time. I thought, oh yeah, no, it's mm-hmm. just something to cover management if uh, if something goes wrong okay. something something happened to change that um one of my workmates he brought down some stuff from my my locker in, in the workplace and one of the things that he brought down with with him was a whole pile of my old take five books hmm. and i just you know i just grabbed them off him and i threw them in my bedside table in the in the hospital room now, one night I woke up about three o'clock in the morning and I couldn't sleep. I was in a fair bit of pain. So I just I just reached over to my bedside table and I grabbed one of those old Take Five books and I started flicking through old Take Fives that I'd done over the years. Mm. And I came with some blank Take Fives. And I don't, I don't know why I did this, but I decided to do a Take Five for the job that I got hurt on. Mm. Now, had I take five that day and done one properly not, yeah. just, not just gone tick 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 but if i would have done one properly i would have identified probably three or four different things that could have prevented me from getting hurt yeah so you know we we had the system in place that could have possibly stopped me from you know getting injured but you know i didn't use it and if you were to say well why didn't you use it i, I would say well there was no encouragement or no, you know, reinforcement to, 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 to do it. So I guess, you know, for, for, for any managers or supervisors out there, you know, if you, if you do introduce a, a, a system or a procedure, you have to also be willing to, you know, to constantly encourage or even reinforce people to use that system. I think that's a really important point because I, I see it so often in organizations that you have a good system that gets implemented and people are looking for the next system to implement, but they haven't necessarily embedded the tools that they have. So mm-hmm. so like you said, the good good strategies to embed in the first year, but eventually it tapered off and, and attention went to something else. Mm-hmm. But some of these things, if it had been continuously reinforced, yeah. uh, could could continue to drive adoption. So I think it's a really good point is not necessarily throw what you've got out, but maybe even just look at mm. how do I make sure what I've got gets implemented, yeah. gets reinforced and gets really operationalized day in and day out. Yeah. And I think, I think the other thing's probably worth mentioning is I was working in the industry when we were starting to transition from, you know, really bad culture to try and change some of those cultures. Mm-hmm. 
So there was, there was, you know, over the, the, the time that I was in the workforce, there was quite a lot of changes made. Sure. And there was, there was a lot of opposition to some of those changes, you know, especially from some of the, the old school guys and girls saying, well, hang on, we've been doing this for 30 years. Why do we, <laughs> why do, we have to change the way we do right. Absolutely. Uh, so so let's, let's transition. You do a lot of, of speaking to groups. Uh, you've taken on recently a, a COVID project. Uh, tell me a little bit about your project and also a, a little bit of, we'll get to that after, but a little bit about uh, how somebody could reach out to you if they wanted you to, to connect with a group uh, and, and speak about sure. some of the, your experience and also help shape people's mindsets around it. Yeah, sure. Well, my little COVID project, we, I, I live in Victoria or in uh, Australia <laughs> or Melbourne in Victoria. Uh, we have got the the unenviable record of having been locked down for more days than any other place in the world. I think it, were, it was close to 300 days we were in total lockdown where we weren't allowed to leave the house apart from shopping, medical or work, essential work. Um, uh-huh. So during that, that time, I decided to put together a little book. Uh, it's called 12 Reasons Not to Get Hurt at Work. And it, basically, Eric, it's, it's a lot of the the ways that my incident changed my life. Sure, you know things that some of the some of the topics are. You know, you can't do some of the things that you used to be able to do. Mm. One of the things that I try and explain to people is I don't think any of us take, you know, realize just how much we take for granted. And it's that old uh, that old saying: you don't realize what you what you miss mm. until you can't do it anymore. Right. So you know things like that. Uh, I cover I cover the fact that you know because I use a wheelchair to get around, my my difference is quite obvious. But I think some people when they see when they see someone that's a little bit different, they straight away assume that they have to treat me differently. Mm-hmm. So you know I, I I get people that speak to me really slowly, <laughs> you know, so so I can understand them. Or I get people shout at me as though I'm deaf. <laughs> I, have a, I have a lot. Of I have a lot of fun with those ones. Oh. Um, you know, things, yeah. So, so my my book's just a short book, just to give people a little bit of an insight into what it's like to you know to live with a, an injury. Um, I think in reality, Eric, you think about you know a lot of workplaces, especially large workplaces. If somebody has a an incident or has an injury, you know that person gets taken to hospital. Yep. Uh, then they might have. Then they might have to have a bit of time off to recover and recuperate. Mm-hmm. Um, if they can't, if they can't come back to the the workplace that uh, they were working at previously, you know, a lot of the a lot of the people they don't they don't see some of the things that this person is is trying to deal with and trying to cope with. So I guess my job and, and the job of you know people like myself who share their stories. Is to just try and educate people on on how an injury changes your life and how it affects a lot of the people around you as well. Thank you for the for the good work you're doing on that side in terms of helping keep keep people safe and 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 focus on 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 really their personal choices that they can make uh, and for leaders mm-hmm. in terms of how they can influence others in terms of how they show up. Yeah. No. Look, I my my sort of. Uh, motivation to to do these things, Eric, is is purely to stop even one person from going through some of the things that I've had to deal with for the last thirty years, and you know we'll probably have to try and deal with for the next twenty or thirty years as well. 
Absolutely. So, so thank you very much for sharing your story. Uh, anything you'd like to share about CNB Safe uh, and and your group? Yeah. Look, I mean, basically, if if anyone does want to get in touch, um, I have got a web website. It's uh, obviously CNB Safe. So C for cat, N for November, B, and then the word safe dot com dot au. Don't forget the au at the end of it. <laughs> us Australian, us Australians are pretty proud of that au. <laughs> Absolutely. So thank you so much for coming on the show and, and sharing your story. Thanks, Eric. I, uh, I enjoy listening to your podcast and I'm happy to be part of one. Like what we do? Share this on your socials and tell everyone. Thank you for listening to The Safety Guru on C-Suite Radio. Leave a legacy. Distinguish yourself from the pack. Grow your success. Capture the hearts and minds of your teams. Fuel your future. Come back in two weeks for the next episode or listen to our sister show with the Ops Guru, Eric McCroskey.